It is hard to uh, run a successful podcast. So kudos to you um, for making it happen. (laughs) Why, thank you, sir. Hey, friends, I'm Ryan from Katrina Loves Trent and No Res Podcast. And today, Dustin and I are going to dive into Defriended by Ruth Barron. And let me tell you, this book is filled with twists and turns. So if spoilers ain't your thing, hit pause, go read it, and then come back. (laughs) So you have a long to-be-read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Is there Wi-Fi beyond the grave? Jason has met the perfect girl. She loves indie rock, plays the guitar, quotes cheesy 80s films, and hates people who compare every book to the great Gatsby. There's just one small problem. Although Jason and Lacey spend hours chatting online, she refuses to meet up in person. Suspicious. Jason starts Googling, and his cyber-stalking leads to a shocking discovery. According to multiple newspapers, Lacey died a year earlier. Soon, Jason finds himself caught in a disturbing mystery. Has he found a way to Facebook message the dead? Or is someone playing a dangerous trick on him? Either way, Jason has to uncover the truth before it's time to meet Lacey, I-T-A-L, in the afterlife. Okay, (laughs) this thing is... I have some things to say about the writing in this book, for sure. Have you ever read a point horror book? No. And so it this was a whole new experience for me. Um, I feel like all of these books should come with a playlist in the front. I don't know if that's a point horror theme to have so much music referenced throughout. I know this one did have a lot of music and a lot of bands referenced. And bands. And I was kind of like, I kind of wish they gave me like a playlist at the beginning so that I could be like, oh, cool. Now I can like listen and read like super like ambient. Yeah, chapter one, listen to this band, you know, right? that like, kind of thing. It'd be kind of fun. Anyway, so that this was published by Scholastic in 2013. And this was my first point horror book for this show for the new millennium, actually. Um, incidentally, it does. It seems that it may have been the author's only published novel. Huh. I can't find anything else by her. I did some searching online and just cannot find much about Ruth Barron, the author. Though the brief bio in the back of the book does say she worked as an editor for O Magazine, the Oprah Magazine, okay, and Details Magazine. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so the book's only seven years old. So, you know, let the spoiling commence. Yes, it's outside the five-year range. Let's do. <laughs> um, that's so weird. I, I kind of love the fact that she, like, wrote one book and then went dark. Like, it feels very fitting for a book that is very, like, Facebook and, like, internet webby, like, centric for her to be like, I wrote one and then I kind of disappeared. And I'm like, cool, I'm into it. <laughs> We're going to find out that she's actually just some, like, other author that we know super well and was just kind of like trying something new under a pseudonym. There you go. Maybe that is it. I don't know. So now on to the book. Yeah. In the fictional Roosevelt high school in Miss Rowan's class sits a bored teenager, Jason Moreland. All he can seem to think about is his Facebook profile. 
his status updates and how many friends he has. 248. It could be 249 if he accepts his aunt's friend's request. I get that this is from 2013, but it's still, it feels out of touch for Facebook to be the main social network used by a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even at this time, it might have been, I don't know, it might have been wiser just to make up a different app. Right. Like a fake app. And and of course, in reading the very first paragraph, I was like, I feel a little personally attacked right now um, because I have definitely been that um, person sitting in school thinking about my Facebook and what funny like status I was going to make later. Um, so I definitely read this and was like, oh, OK, no, I, I see where we're going. And I definitely um, I don't I don't feel safe anymore because I know she's going to come for me every chance she gets as she writes. Oh, yes. You're going to be pointed out 100 <laughs> percent. So Jason notices, um, you know, his best friend Rakesh is on his phone and he's not worried about getting his phone taken because, you know, know, and confiscated because apparently Rakesh is a very smooth talker and, of course, rich. So he has extra phones. Apparently everyone wants to be his friend. No worries for him. Everything's just golden. Side note, I'm glad that two pages in, we already have some racial diversity in Point Horror. Right. Um, It was really nice to have some, like, diversity. And then later on in the book, when there was, like, Taylors and Tylers and Johns and Lukes, and I was like, okay, now I'm starting to get confused to who's who. So I like that there's some diversity in names so I can actually keep people, like, straight and tell them apart. (laughs) So yeah, we don't we actually don't get confirmation later that until, you know, they actually say that Rakesh is Indian, but they tell you. And in case you couldn't tell by his name, you know, it's a step up that was needed. So I want to kudos mm. to Ruth Barron for including that. Rakesh is also very handsome, which makes it a lot easier to be charming, you know, of course. Jason notes that he has 892 friends. So you can tell that Jason wishes he were Rakesh. We love the wallflower best friend trope. We love to do it. We love to see it. The whole underdog storyline. Everybody wants to be, you know, everybody wants the underdog to win. Always. (laughs) So Jason's mind drifts to Lacey, his online girlfriend. She's got blonde hair and gray eyes. She likes the same bands. And she's also so easy to talk to. Lacey is so perfect. I've got news for you, kid. It sounds like you're being catfished <laughs> already page, for the jump. Page one. I was like, oh, oh, we're doing a catfish story. I'm I'm here for it. I'm ready for the ride. <laughs> he wishes he could tell anyone, everyone about her, but he can't because his mom doesn't want him dating. It seems she does not really says it, but there's something about, you know, his relationship with his mom. It's like she doesn't want him to go out and do much. She wants him focused on school, like with a very little social life. She's kind of a little helicopter parent in a way. So after class on the way to lunch, Jason thinks more about how different he and Rakesh are. They are put together for play dates as babies and they've been besties ever since. Even though Rakesh has swag and Jason is socially awkward and distant. And I guess that's really what he envies, right? He wants the swag. Jason's tired of his life. Case in point, he also notes how he eats the same boring sandwich every day for lunch. Like it's some kind of metaphor, but it's just blatantly telling you. <laughs> but also like, maybe I just like the same sandwich. That's okay. Like we love a little bit of consistency in our lives. He seems a little bitter about it. Right? <laughs> you know, it's, it tastes the same as yesterday's. So your just ask mom for a different sandwich, maybe? 
I don't know, that could solve so many problems. There you go. Mix it up. <laughs> New cheese, maybe something? That's all. Just a little something to, f- to make lunch have a little more flair the next day. How about some spicy mayonnaise this Ooh. time around? Ooh. <laughs> Later in English, he's bored with the discussion of the Great Gatsby. Aren't we all? That stupid green light thing. I- so, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me unpack this for a second. Here's a theory, Okay. Maybe some authors just wrote some stuff not intending for there to be metaphors or hidden meaning. Maybe it's just coincidence and speculation. How about we just enjoy the fucking story, huh? How about we do that? I feel like you you know you have made it as an author when like high school English teachers are unpacking like the choice to give the girl a blue dress. And it's like, well, maybe the dress meant something. It's like, no, I just liked the color blue. Like that, that's all. But like, you've made it when you're getting dissected for every little thing as an author, I feel. I swear it's ridiculous. I'm like, I don't think really, I don't, I don't, I, I've written things before and I never really thought there was hidden meaning, but maybe there is, there I guess is. I've hidden meanings, but in, I don't know. We're going to delve into that psyche and find that like hidden trauma somewhere, apparently. (laughs) So Jason ends up writing the lamest song lyrics in history in hopes that Lacey, who is taking guitar lessons, will write music for them. They are really, really bad. Do you want to try singing them for us? Absolutely not. (laughs) It was something every time I would read them too, I'd be like, I wish I had some idea of a tune this would go like, do I sing it to like sing to the tune of row, row, row your boat? But like, no, there's no, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be going for when I'm reading this. Um, Okay. So here's my idea of how it's supposed to go. Okay. It was all turning gray. It was all turning black. Then you were there and you kept coming back. These things tend to get ugly or so I'm told. But now that you're here, everything's coming up gold. Drive out, see the stars in the car are falling hard. Wake up, feel the sun, touch your hair, see your heart. That's all it is. The the middle school um phase where I wanted to shop at Hot Topic all the time was very in love with your rendition of that song. Oh, great. I'm glad. Maybe yeah. they'll turn me into a South Park character. Hit, hit me in all <laughs> the little middle school emo feels right there. I loved it. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he needs to quit his day job. I don't think he's got no. a big career coming for the music industry. No, no he does not. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason gets home that evening and we learn that his parents are divorced. His mother, Claudia, is a radiologist and a loving mom. She seems a bit overprotective of him, giving him every pet name in the book. Her husband, Jason's stepdad, is a low-life jerk named Mark that Jason can't stand. He's described as a sort of greasy used car salesman type. Even though he's in real estate, which, you know, same vibe, I get it. Jason misses his dad, who seems to be always traveling for work. And I wonder why, I wonder if it's what's broke up their marriage. Because, you know, Jason's mom gets emotional whenever the dad's brought up. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So we also learn that Lacey's name is Lacey Gray. Her eyes are gray and her last name is Gray. Sure. Let me guess. She dresses all in lace too. Probably. Probably. (laughs) That sounds like, I don't know. Anyway, when he first saw her online, Jason messaged her first because they had the same song lyrics in their Facebook profiles. I roll. 
It took three months, but she finally wrote back. Ever since, they write and chat all the time. She keeps finding excuses for why they can't meet up or just avoids the question altogether. Red fucking flag, Jason. Red flag. (laughs) Come on now. He, of course, is too skittish to speak up for fear of scaring her off. I get it, but dude just... You see, have some self-respect and just confront her about it. You know, just right. What's like, up? come on, something seems a little shady. Come on, you, you, you know, you feel it. You need to just say it. Something that Rakesh said always sticks with him, and it's actually sound advice. He says, "Quote: If you can't play hard to get, at least don't be psycho about it." It's a hard lesson to learn, especially for overachiever dorks like me. And you know, I'm still trying to learn that lesson, sadly, because I get a little excited about things but i need to chill out that's that goes for anybody don't scare people off like you can be excited (laughs) we're all excited hold back right don't be too excited right just hold that hold back a little so chatting with Lacey, he learns that she has an older brother how did he not know that anyway maybe because she's making him up i don't know He finally brings up meeting in real life, and she agrees. However, she can't right now because things are, quote, complicated, and she needs to, quote, figure out what's going on in her life right now. Classic catfish move. I mean, I need, like, Neve and Max to show up at any moment and just be like, okay, bitch. (laughs) Right? The entire time I was like, this would be such a fun episode of Catfish. Like, to be able to unpack all of this and then all of the things that will follow. Like... Everyone could have just avoided all of this with a little help from Neve and Max. Seriously. Ooh, you know what else they could do? Um, it'd be really cool because they already have a point horror TV show in the making. And since this is a newer one, I don't know if they'll do it or not. But mm-hmm. if they ever do, they could totally go the catfish route and maybe even like cast Neve or Max in this role. I <laughs> or it's like one of the or like one of the parents or something. Yes, that'd be such a nice little like Easter egg for all of us. It would be. It'd be fun. So Jason sits with Rakesh's friends at the school lunch table every day. And some of the guys are okay, but most of the others are sheep that have to fit in all the time. And it annoys the fuck out of Jason. And I'm with him on this. I'd rather everyone have their own personality, but that's just me. This one girl, Kelly, teases him all the time about who he'll take to the formal, but he keeps quiet. Jason doesn't want anyone to know about Lacey because he'll he's scared that they'll you know judge him and think that he's a loser. Not to say that you can't date someone online, but my question is, if you never meet, is it really real? You know, in my opinion, words are one thing, but to physically see, hear, touch, smell someone is a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. So that's a question I have. Do you think it's really real if you haven't really met that person ever? You know, I think that you can have real feelings as far as like, you know, you feel something for that person, you have some kind of connection. But I truly think that the the true test is like in person. Like once you finally meet that person, you may realize that, and nine times out of 10, you do realize that like, it's not quite what you were expecting. You're kind of more in love with the idea of that person than who that person might actually exactly. be. Um, and so like, I definitely think that it's not truly real until you've like met them, met them face to face. I I wholeheartedly agree. That's yeah, exactly how I feel about that. Um, I do. I do love in that chapter that they like, once again, they drop that, like, 
it's a catfish Easter egg thing where they're like, his dad always said, when something seems too good to be true, it usually is. And you're like, see, like, you know, you have all the breadcrumbs. <laughs> Come on, audience. <laughs> Come on, reader, there. put it together. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he can't seem to stop checking Facebook for messages from Lacey all the freaking time. And Rakesh urges him to just ask Lacey to the formal, but Jason is hesitant. I wonder why. Could it be that she'll most likely say no again? Take a clue, Jason. Come on. On a whim, Jason decides to finally Google Lacey. And I can't believe he hasn't done this already, but here we are. <laughs> What's that about? I don't know. Who doesn't? If you meet somebody online and if you've been talking to them for a while, you kind of find you find out their name. You want to, I want to know, you know, some more about them. Anytime I meet someone in person, the first thing I do when they walk away is Google them to make sure they're not like a convicted felon. Like at least to at least get that out of the way. He's very trusting. <laughs> oh, to a fault. To a fault, Jason. To a major fault. Man. <laughs> God, that's just, it's weird. Boy, oh boy, does he find more than he expected. He finds an article from the Brighton Times, the town that Lacey's from. It says that Lacey Gray, an honor student and musician and all around saint of a person, went to an unsupervised party at Roxy Choi's house on Friday night, but never came home. It wasn't until Monday when the Choi's and when her family came back from their vacation that they found her dead in the backyard. Wait, so everyone looked for her all weekend, but no one thought to search the house that the party was at? (laughs) She's missing all weekend. At what point, like, in the party that, like, there weren't enough people there to suddenly notice a dead body kind of just lying around, like, so was she the last one at the party and then she died? I have so many questions that I hope will be answered. They may or may not be. <laughs> Needless to say, this astonishes Jason and he doesn't want to believe what he's reading. He tries to convince himself that it's a mistake. A different Lacey Gray at a different place called Brighton. Yeah, sure. You know, keep that, you mm-hmm. know, keep that up. <laughs> keep lying to yourself. It's always healthy. So he rechecks the article and it was published in like October, which was three months before he and Lacey actually started talking. And oddly, it didn't take three months. Didn't it take three months for her to actually respond to him originally? Isn't that kind of weird? That would mean that he sent her his opening message to say hi to her around the time that she was, quote, killed. Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of odd timing. Hmm. Yeah. He finds another article from January that shows a statue memorial going up in Brighton Park in Lacey's honor. Her friend, she often sp- spoke about or speaks about, named Jenna, is the one who helped to raise the money for it. Jason's relieved to find that Lacey is real, of course, but now he needs to know if someone is pranking him or if he's talking to someone from beyond the grave. I'm I'm so hoping it's a beyond the grave. I I I so am. I wanted like a cyber ghost story so bad. I, like <laughs> something really ridiculous. So the next day in the gym running drills, he can't stop thinking about Lacey, of course. His thoughts are kind of funny at this point when he starts thinking <laughs> when he thinks about the things that she said to him. This is something quote, things are complicated right now. Complicated because you're dead? You just have to give me a little more time to figure out what's going on with me. Well, yes, I imagine a dead person does have a lot to figure out. (laughs) 
it's nice sarcastic sense of humor that I like. He's actually, you know, it's it's so fun to watch him work through it like so sarcastically and dryly. Where he's, it's just so good because I'm like, no, this would this is how I would react. Like I get this. Yep. Yeah, you're like yeah. Jason is very judgy of other people, namely because of what he sees of their social lives on Facebook. He tends to focus on their problems and what they can do rather than the fact that he's antisocial and being catfished by a ghost. He grabs Rakesh and they leave school for a private lunch at their local hangout diner called Michael's. After hearing everything, Rakesh is almost in an I told you so mode, but he says that he will do some digging on Lacey on his own. He tells Jason not to worry because he won't try to steal Lacey. It's odd that he brought that up unprovoked. <laughs> Even odder that Jason was hoping the same thing at that moment. And it's like, oh, they know each other really well. And it's like, I'm not going to try to steal your girl. It's like, well, that's that's nice. I'm your friend. I'm glad you're telling me you won't. It's, you know, he's a little bit conceited, but he, even though he's a good friend. Later after school, Rakesh has Jason come over to tell them what they found out about Lacey. First, he finally realized why her name sounded familiar to him. Her older brother, Luke, played on the school team and hurt another player on their team pretty badly the year before. Rakesh remembered that Luke and his friend laughed about it, which just pissed him off. So I guess that would definitely be stamped in your memory. Next, Rakesh tries to look up Lacey's profile on Facebook, but he can't find it. All he found was a memorial page that Jason had not yet seen before. It was the same Lacey Gray and hundreds of people sent rest in peace messages to her. He can't believe this, so he logs into his own Facebook account and discovers something else he'd never noticed before. He's Lacey's only friend. Another red flag. <laughs> it also brings up the question, why is it that Rakesh can't find her profile? Like, why can't he find it? So now Lacey, I mean, Jason has to confront Lacey, but how? Like, how is he going to say something to her? How is he going to bring it up to her? He's obsessed over this. He starts to become kind of annoying with the apprehensiveness at this point, really. He's like, I don't know if I should. I'm like, okay, all right, now it's time to bring something, you know, now it's time to have some balls. Like, let's do this. And and this is the point where he starts to bring up Hamlet a lot. And it like becomes this really bizarre reoccurring theme where I was like, I, I like that you think that you're Hamlet in all of this because like it's like, is this how he felt when he talked to a ghost? And I, what? No, like, <laughs> no, no, not at all. I don't know Hamlet, but I'm no sure as hell it ain't this. Right. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, OK, so he has bad dreams about it all night. And that morning he finally messages Lacey that they need to talk. I'd like to note that they, we are seven chapters in, and we've only now established that Jason wears glasses. It took seven chapters for us to know this about him. I just thought that was weird. Of course, she replies with this cryptic, I can't talk about this right now, message. She even says that she needs a few days, the weekend, to get herself together, and she promises that she's not blowing him off, and oh, by the way, can he not tell anyone else about them? I'm like, <laughs> okay. He agrees to all this like an insecure dumbass and then tells Rakesh to keep his mouth shut about Lacey. I'm like, oh, this is so, so screwed up. Like, why are you involved with this girl at this point? He's so trusting. He's he's going to get so hurt. <laughs> no. 
It's Friday, and Jason gets home to an empty house. Since he has a self-imposed ban on social media, basically Facebook, he searches for something to cure his boredom. He can't seem to find anything on TV, and so he goes upstairs to get on the computer to do something he always does, and no, it's not masturbation. He did, it, did, it did start, he goes, he goes upstairs to do something he always does when he's alone. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And he goes, he goes through his song list on iTunes. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he goes downstairs and grabs the Brighton phone book from above the fridge. And that's where, you know, we kept our phone book. Where'd you keep your phone book? We kept ours on the fridge. Um. Is it bad that when I think back to my childhood, I can't recall a phone book? Well, you're younger than me, so that doesn't make <laughs> sense. <laughs> that makes sense. It's it just, you know, I guess that, you know, it goes. They still make them, though. They, they do. still show up. Anyway, so he grabs the phone book from above the fridge and he looks up Lacey's number and he calls her house. <laughs> oh my God, he just calls her house out of nowhere. After several rings, her dad answers and he just hangs up. <laughs> right away i'm like oh shit that's not good so he ends up calling rakesh to come over which helps keep his mind distracted and they play video games and pass out peacefully waking up refreshed the next day he plans to read that book for class and also give his dad a call which is nice though now he has an idea and i don't like the sound of it jason decides to drive to brighton park to see Lacey's memorial statue. <sighs> this is probably a mistake. <laughs> gotta make sure it's real. Because everything up until now hasn't been enough proof. Yes. He was hoping it was all a mistake and that it wouldn't be there. But there it is. A golden girl dancing. Not not one of the golden girls. Just a girl that's golden. <laughs> but like, how, <laughs> but that how been would awesome. that be? Thank you for being a friend, Lacey. <laughs> Oh, God, that's so sad, but so fun. I wish it was that. That would have been great. Oh, Estelle Getty just sitting there. <laughs> just, just hanging. A nice gold statue of Estelle Getty. <laughs> That'd be great. I would love that. Whew. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, the statue's there, complete with a plaque dedicated to Lacey. And he tries to sort out the possibilities, Okay. So one, either Lacey is dead and talking to him from the afterlife, but why choose him? Great. Out of all the people to talk to. Two, someone is impersonating Lacey as a cruel joke, but also why choose him? More likely. Cool. Or three, Lacey is alive and hiding, but also why choose him? Who has nothing to do with this chick at all. They other like than he messaged her. Song lyrics. That's right. I forgot the same bands and everything. He determines that he and Lacey have a real connection, all because they like the same music. Literally, that's what it says, because they like the same music. <laughs> Teen logic, you know, whatever. Reminiscing, he gets interrupted by a girl asking him if he knew Lacey, and it turns out it's Jenna, Lacey's best friend. Talking to her makes him nervous, but she's really friendly. And he somehow feels closer to Lacey just by being around her. There's a moment when he mentions the Facebook memorial page and she gets really bitter and angry about the way people suddenly send condolences and then go on to LOL at something else. Yeah, 
that doesn't scream. I've been taking over my friend Lacey's life and hacking, <laughs> talking to you. Right? Like I'm not crazy or anything. This is not a single white female moment in the least. No. He ends up feeling too guilty and rushing back to his car. Something doesn't feel right to him. You think? Mm-hmm. He gets back to his town, Oakdale, and can't stop thinking about his conversation with Jenna. This is making him more anxious to call Lacey's number again. So he does, and again, her dad, Ed Gray, answers. Jason quickly lies and says his name is Keith McKellar. And the dad tells him that Lacey died last October before slamming the phone down. Like, ooh. As if it weren't enough, Jason calls back and tells the dad that there must be a mistake. He runs Orange County Guitar Academy, and Lacey just sent an audition video. And he'd like her to have a spot. I'm like, oh my god. This is where... Oh my God. This is all off the cuff. Like out of nowhere, he just comes up with a story. And for the boy who like can't decide whether or not he should just like text the girl he's been talking to for months on end. Like he's very impulsive all of a sudden. And I'm like, okay. It's very out of character, out of nowhere, out of character. Like who is this crazy stranger forcing a father to relive his daughter's death? It's not cool. So the dad tells him, leave them alone before hanging it up, hanging up the phone. And so Jason's mad at Lacey for lying. Now you're angry? Now? <laughs> what? I don't get it. That night, Rakesh tells Jason to be the designated driver at a party at the local bridge that they hang out at. It's a normal party, you know, like for teenagers especially, you know. He refers to it as like a John Hughes type of party. So you totally get the idea. But he's quickly over it. He's been paranoid all night, and the people at the party are just annoying him. So he decides to take a walk down the trail that they took through the woods to get to the bridge. And he suddenly hears twigs snapping. And then he realizes he's, he's being followed. When he turns to go back to the party, he knows for certain someone's behind him. And when he turns around, he sees a figure running up the trail to the street. So he tries to go for it and he trips and falls and drops his flashlight like a you know typical klutzy protagonist. So he's in the dark. The party is breaking up and he's just stepping out into the street and a black Volkswagen nearly runs him over. And he's not sure, but he thinks he see that, sees that the driver has blonde hair. And didn't Lacey have a Volkswagen? Why would she try to hit him? Doesn't she love him? What's going on? Hmm. <laughs> the plot hmm. thickens. So Sunday, Jason's losing his patience. Monday is taking too long to get here. He wants to talk to Lacey. So he just takes his batters into his own hands. He ends up going ahead and writing Lacey a long email de- detailing everything that has happened. The obituary, the memorial. And he also adds like, P.S. Did you follow me last night to the bridge and try to hit me with your car? <laughs> just wondering. Finally, finally, get it all out there, you know. He sends it and then spends time, you know, spends the rest of the time helping his mother prep dinner just to keep himself distracted. And so he won't be checking his Facebook every five minutes. The struggle is real, dude. It's, you know, it's still hard to resist social media. <laughs> when you know that you are going to get left on red, you are waiting with bated breath for that reply. Exactly. Oh, I hate that crap. It takes until midday the next day, Monday, before he gets a response. This is what she says. She says, I didn't want you to find out this way. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, here we go. She says that she's afraid for his life because they might find out. They might hurt him in so many words. She says that 
she doesn't know who to trust, but she trusts him because what she feels for him is very real. She also says that she knows he spoke to Jenna on Saturday at the park and she wants him to contact Jenna to confide in her. This is getting strangely familiar to something I've read before. I don't know what it is, but it feels really familiar. And I'm already thinking, okay, Jenna's in on it. Of course, Jenna's, Jenna's got to be the person. So he goes to Rakesh and tells him all about his weekend. There's a lot of repetitiveness, repetitiveness in this story. Like, okay, this is what happened. And now I got to go tell my friend and recount everything that we've read in the book so far. <laughs> Again. The amount of times that you get that nice little page break where it's like, after finally telling them the entire story up until this point. And I was like, like oh, thank God. everyone in. We don't need to tell the reader again. We're not stupid. We didn't forget by this point. Ugh, it's so dumb. So yeah. When he mentions the part where he thought Lacey was following him on the trail by the bridge, where Kesha goes, but Lacey's dead. And Jason just snaps like loudly. She's not dead. In the lunchroom. Very awkward silence. Everybody's staring at him. And I'm like, oh, dude, you've lost it. <laughs> Unhinged. Jason reaches out to Jenna via Facebook, sending her a request. Then he notices that Jenna is friends with Luke, Lacey's older brother. Okay, so it seems written that like it's supposed to be a weird thing, but it kind of makes sense that she would be friends with her best friend's brother, that you know, the friend that died. I mean, obviously, why does he make it seem like it's a weird thing? Right. Like, like it's it totally makes sense. I'm friends with my best friend's siblings on Facebook. It's not weird. Like, totally I mean, not. Be, you're not best friends with them, but you keep up with them, you know, right. a little bit. So Jenna messages them back fast, and they make plans to meet up for coffee in Brighton at this place called Play It Again, Sam, which I love that name of the place. Play It Again, Sam. You want to go to Play It Again, Sam? <laughs> what? Again? <laughs> Again, Sam? Oh, if you had a friend named Sam? Uh that was like a guitarist. You want to go to play it again, Sam? Again, Sam? <laughs> the place is described as a, like a typical coffee shop. I think I'm thinking like Central Perk. Yeah. Yep. Like that the mismatched cool. furniture and all that kind of stuff. At first, he and Jenna are kind of awkwardly speaking about Lacey. And he doesn't tell her the whole truth. Just, you know, he just says that he started talking to Lacey last fall. And he only now learned that she had died. It's kind of not a lie, but he's leaving out a lot. Lacey did say to feel, you know, feel Jenna out and make sure that he could trust her, you know. So Jenna gets emotional, explains that Lacey has been acting strange, was acting strange last fall. She was distant and uninterested in things, not the vibrant girl that everyone knew. She even started taking guitar lessons with some lowlife named Max, hanging out with him privately. This was not like Lacey at all, it seems. Jenna says she knows Lacey was hiding something. Jenna then starts to cry, thinking about Roxy Choi's party. She lost track of Lacey after a small argument they had and spent the entire weekend mad at her, only to learn that she had fallen off the Choi's balcony. She doesn't understand this because the upstairs was off limits, and it's really hard to just fall off the railing, you know? Why is it that she knows that Lacey fell off a railing? Because it never mentioned that in a newspaper article <laughs> at all. It just right. says she was found dead in the backyard. But whatever. Jason comforts her as she cries in his arms, convinced Jenna is a trustworthy friend. So that night, Jason sends a quick message to Lacey telling her that they can trust Jenna. He falls asleep shortly thereafter. He ends up waking up for some reason and going downstairs for some water. So he hears a creak on the floorboards in the house, but he figures it's maybe one of his parents. When he goes back upstairs, he notices his laptop is open, and he didn't remember it being open when he woke up. 
that's not good. No. <laughs> he, of course, ignores it and climbs into bed until he hears some movement and someone breathing. I'm like, oh, God, that would freak me out. I would jump out of bed. He doesn't, like, really react. <laughs> He's just kind of like, huh? Who's there? And nobody answers. I'm like, well, of course no one's going to answer, asshole. Jump up and go search the room. Right. In in what scenario in any movie, in any book, when someone screams, who's there, does the thing answer you? And the thing that bothers me also is that he doesn't grab his glasses immediately to see who's in the room. He just kind of goes, huh? I'm like, you can't see anything. You're blind, dickhead. I know this. I'm blind without my glasses. Put your glasses on. So dumb. Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, he checks the room finally and he can't find anyone. However, he does find a random picture of Lacey and some guy from her school in a varsity jacket. He didn't put it there. He then checks his notebook and sees that the song he wrote with the awful lyrics has been torn out. Yes, it should be. Now he'll never make it in the biz as Johnny Bravo. No, tear the lyrics out, throw them in the trash. That's what I hope whoever stole them did with them. That'd be nice kindling. Seriously, I would have, you know, been much more freaked out that someone had just been in my room than that they stole my lyrics. But priorities. <laughs> someone was in my, I heard breathing. I'm sorry. I'm freaking out. No. So now we get an update. He gets to update Rakesh on everything that's happened. And Rakesh just convinces Jason to Skype with Jenna and like right now. And she agrees to a midnight call after her parents go to sleep. And during that call, he finally tells Jenna everything he knows about Lacey, the truth about it all. Well, all except the how he feels about Lacey. She reacts very badly, telling him he's sick and and how can she thought him to trust him and yada, yada, yada. She's about to hang up the call when he remembers what Lacey told him to say. Like, oh, do you still have that penguin shirt in the back of your closet? And she's like, what? It gives her pause and she starts to consider everything that he's saying. Finally, he explains more and then shows the picture he found. She says the sinister-looking guy in the varsity jacket is Troy, Lacey's brother's friend. They come up with a plan to ask around to figure out Lacey's whereabouts. She's going to check in with Max, Lacey's guitar instructor. He urges her to be careful. I'm telling you, she's got to be part of this. She settled into this idea a little too fast. Like, it just, oh, okay, all right, we'll do this. Oh, yeah, she's, <laughs> Wait, you're right. she's totally alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few days go by. It's now Sunday, and Jason ends up reading more of Hamlet for school. He's already made a few comparisons to the situation in the play already, but there's a great line that pretty much sums up how things are today. Quote, Poisoned, killed by their own treachery, murdered in cold blood, and they didn't even have Facebook to deceive one another. (laughs) You can read into that several ways. Social media is, in general, is toxic. Or that Facebook was destined to be a weapon of deception. Hmm? Excellent foreshadowing. Yes. Written in 2013, folks. Ruth Barron must be psychic. So he's worried about Lacey because she hasn't written him back in days. Since, you know, he told her that he brought Jenna into everything. And he hopes she's okay. And I'm sure she's fine in her grave, dude. He's in the kitchen beginning a letter to her on his laptop when his mom asks, who's Lacey? She's looking over his shoulder and Jason is seriously pissed that she would do that. I'm like, dude, she's your mom and you're in her house. And she even makes point. You're in my kitchen. She has every right. And he gives her attitude. She remains calm, but gives him some sass right back. I'm all here for it. 
I'm like, you know, I'm starting to like her. I'm starting to like Claudia Moreland. I thought helicopter parent at first, and then I was like, no, good parent. <laughs> she, Claudia grew on me a lot during this. Yes. After trying to write a new and bad, bad song lyrics, he finally types up a letter to Lacey telling her how things went and asking if she was the one who was in his room the other night. At dinner, his mother asks more about Lacey. So Jason just lies and says that she goes to school with him and, and you know, they're working on a group project for Kim Lab and with Rakesh and Lacey's friend Jenna. It's actually a good cover in case he needs to get out of the house, you know, that week sometime to investigate stuff. But something irks me here. Jason's stepdad, Mark, makes a crude joke and it goes, quote, maybe Karen and I can do some chemistry experiments of our own while you're out. Who the hell is Karen? I went back to check earlier in the book and yes, I confirmed it says Jason's mom name is Claudia. So what the hell are these swingers now? Did she just change her name like mid like chapter? <laughs> Did she go by several names? What's going on? Because for the rest of the book, she's referred to as Karen. Stop it. I I didn't even pick up on that. And that is so funny. Because I remember I wrote it down. I was like, Claudia Moreland when I saw her name. And then I saw Karen. Who the hell is Karen? <laughs> and she's just she's trying out some new identities. That's what we all do on the internet. Exactly. Oops. Uh-oh. That's it's how they met. He knows her as Karen, even though her name's Claudia. <laughs> She met Mark online. That's what it was. So she's caring to him. <laughs> the next day in class, Jason has really gotten into Hamlet because of the comparisons he makes to his situation with Lacey. The weird comparisons. He ends up wowing the teacher with his insight, but then starts to consider things more. Was Hamlet responsible for Ophelia's death or just an innocent bystander? It seems he thinks it may be playing a different role than he actually thought, <laughs> but I don't know. But he's also like having that whole, like he is going through it emotionally and like mentally. And he's like, no, so you really are the Hamlet here. Okay. Like you really are having this crisis. So you can. All right, so now I'm starting to see the parallels. <laughs> Jenna messages Jason to meet her ASAP. He agrees and they meet up at the diner. And it's the first mention of where Oakdale, his town, is located. Chicago. And I don't know what is up with this author withholding this information for so long. Location is context. And halfway through the book, I'm having to change how I see this world. Like, I think it's completely on the East Coast. And it's not. It's Chicago area. Mm -hmm. You know, tell us several more chapters in, please. Like, <laughs> maybe chapter one or chapter two. Tell us where they're at. Jenna brought along with her Max, Lacey's guitar instructor friend. She pulls Jason aside and begs him to tell Max everything, even though Jason, Lacey said not to. So Jason's reluctant, but a total pushover, and he lets Jenna tell Max. I'm, I'm just like, oh God, this is going to be bad. But after a minute, Max finally believes them and starts to tell them how he and Lacey got so close when he began teaching her. He picked up the guitar. She picked up the guitar really fast. And then quickly became good friends over the summer while Lacey's friends were all away. So, you know, Lacey had a party at her house and invited Max. And she started acting really weird and flirting with him in front of her brother, Luke, and his friends. And this started an altercation between Max and Luke and Luke's friend, Tony, the one in the photo, you know, that was on Jason's desk. Max left right after that. And when Lacey apologized, she took a secret phone call that he had heard. 
So she shows up to his house to apologize, and then she gets a secret phone call, and he overhears it. She said something about having a secret love that she couldn't tell her brother about because they he'd get angry. And then Jenna makes a weird joke like, don't look at me. We were close, but not that close. And I don't understand the need for this remark as no accusation that was made that Jenna and Lacey were lesbians, but. <laughs> you know what, though? We're going to circle back because I have an entire uh, theory about uh, homosexual relationships in this that comes into play much later. So. Okay, good. Good. Mark that. <laughs> so Max later noticed that Lacey left her phone at his place and she got a text from someone named Casey saying it was an emergency and they needed to, they needed to talk. Jenna noted that there are only two Casey's in school, a freshman that Lacey never met and a gay guy that was the first kid out in their class. <laughs> he was the first kid to come out in their class. Ooh. Gay Casey. The next day, after filling him in again, Rakesh's playboy logic is actually the best logic at the moment. Ditch the dead girl and her drama she's dragging you into and find someone else. <laughs> I'm like, I am all here for Rakesh. Drop all of it. Get out of this. This is too complicated and too weird. I just don't get it. He's too good. He's good people. He's good people. So good. He's a tool, but he's good people. Jason then gets a Facebook message from Lacey. She wants him to sneak into her brother's car and get something for her out of the glove compartment. He'll know it when he sees it. But he has to go tonight, and he can't tell anyone about it to keep the secret safe. No Rakesh or Jenna this time. So this, it feels like a setup or a trap and a prime reason to follow Rakesh's advice. You know what I'm saying? Like he can't get caught or, you know, the brother's going to find him. And Luke. You know, there she is, says he's going to kill him if he gets caught. There are the two things. There is the thing that makes 100% sense, the thing you should be doing. And then there's the thing that you're going to do, Jason. Yes, it's all very shady. And I don't know what, what's up with her pressure about, like, you can't tell anybody. Do it now. I'm like, crap. It's weird. So Jason sneaks out that night and drives to Brighton. I know the feeling of... Uh, being the good kid doing something wrong, bad for the first time, sneaking out kind of thing. You know, we good kids tend to go overboard <laughs> when the opportunity actually happens to us to do, do something bad. And we end up going a little too far. I don't know. Did you ever do that? Um, something like that? Yes. Yep. It's when, when you're so good, like even the littlest amount of bad, like feels so bad, even though it's probably not really anything. I know. But sneaking out in the middle of the night and going to a completely different town, that's not, that's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. No, yeah. So he gets to the Gray's home and it's a large stately house, you know, with a long driveway and multiple cars. And every time he goes to a new house in this city, it's always a bigger house. Bigger <laughs> each house, house everybody's got a bigger house each time. Oh my God, it's bigger than the last house. Like, where the hell do these people live? Like, I don't know. So he's got, you know, there's a bunch of cars in the driveway and he has to check out all of them. He finally locates Luke's car and carefully rummages around the glove box and finds a flash drive. Now I want to know what the hell is on this thing. He almost gets caught by the dad, Mr. Gray, who comes out to see if someone's in the yard. And luckily, you know, the dad leaves, but Jason realizes, you know, he ducks down under something and he's under a tarp and he realizes he's under the tarp that was covering a black Volkswagen. And he already he's like, Oh, and he just knows it's the same car. You know, it's, you know, that almost hit him at the bridge. The scary part is his mini flashlight that he lost that night is sitting in the front seat. 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so <laughs> You're good. All excited. It's so good. So Jason gets home and quickly puts in the flash drive. It seems the only thing on it is a video from the party last summer where Lacey brought Max and pissed off her brother Luke and his friend Troy from the picture. Earlier I said Tony. I meant to say Troy. I know I said Tony earlier. I know I did. <laughs> it's Troy. So the video keeps cutting in and out and the cameraman seems to, you know, like some random guy, you know, took it. At one point it comes on to a secret but heated conversation between Lacey and Troy. The language makes it seem like they're having a secret romance behind her brother's back. Troy has a temper, but so does Luke. A little later, it's clear that Luke is a typical jock bully. Mm. I'm thinking along the lines of like Ryan Phillippe and I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Because he's a blonde and he's just like really aggressively angry all the time just for no damn reason. He has everything perfect in the world. Everything's perfect for him. Why is he so damn angry? You know? Yep. Jason is kind of disgusted by the whole thing. Instead, you know, trying to collect, or excuse me, instead of trying to contact Lacey again, he decides that he's going to tell Jenna about his little excursion and ask if she can meet up. Of course, again, he has to fill Rakesh in on everything, on his little stealth mission and the video. His friend, you know, and Rakesh insists that he come along to meet up with Jenna. Like I can't be left out of this. I'm tired of you just filling me in on everything. <laughs> I want to be part of this now. Let's Seriously. Though Jason doesn't want him to quote, steal the spotlight. I don't, what spotlight? I don't know. He, you know, cause apparently Rakesh makes everything about himself, but he does not, you know, he does want the support of his friend. Of course, at this moment, Rakesh asks if Jenna is cute. I roll like, come on, dude. Look, <laughs> eyes of the prize. Let's come on. On the drive there, Jason's mind has drifted to Lacey, and this is annoying Rakesh. He reiterates that Jason does not know this girl. Very true. And he knows that she's been lying to him, which is also true. He wants Jason to give him one good reason why he trusts Lacey. And Jason can't really. He just says, it's complicated. That's all he can say. That's all he can say, you know, because he can't meet about his feelings for Lacey. Ugh. Rakesh's loyalty to Jason, guised under this machismo bro code persona, is actually the most attractive quality about him at this point. He said his love for his friends, like, come on, dude, look at this. I'm I'm helping you out. Why do you want to be around this chick? He's like, uh uh. Well, and you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why are you getting involved in the drama? So they finally get to Jenna's place, which apparently is a mansion, like I said. Rakesh is a douche kissing Jenna's hand and calling her milady. She actually kind of likes it and curtsies, which is another gag me with the silver spoon moment. Max, the guitar instructor kid is there too. And Jason really does not like Max. He's, he's jealous all the time about Max, you know, spending all that time with Lacey. And it's, it's a bit annoying at this point. Jason ends up telling them about breaking into Luke's car, the flash drive and the video at one point while watching the video, Jenna gasps and she's like, holy shnikes. And that's a very 1990s dated reference. And you can tell the person who wrote it isn't hip to kids today. I mean, yeah. besides the Facebook stuff. Like who, what kid today, even in 2013, would be like, holy shnikes. It came out of like complete left field. I had to read it a few times to make sure it actually said shnikes. Because I was like, I, that this is, this feels so dated. 
And what's funny is that a kid reading this, if they don't know the reference, they're going to read it as like, holy skinikes. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh. So the four of them discuss the video and all agree that Troy, Lacey's maybe secret boyfriend with the attitude problem, is the one to watch. So they plan to do some surveillance, trail him for a while to see if he leads them to more info. It should also be noted that they mused Luke may also be a suspect. But Jenna tried to defend him, actually. She weakly did. You know what I mean? She's like, um, like, it could be Luke. She's like, no, no, (laughs) it's not him. Why is she defending him? He's an asshole. All Jason can think about is how mean Luke looks in his pictures, you know? I'm like, fucking Facebook all the time with this guy. Anyway, Jason and Jenna planned their first mission. On their stakeout, where they follow Troy to his lacrosse practice and then to Johnny Rockets and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Jenna and Jason kind of mock each other in a flirty way, bonding about how things have changed for both of them due to Lacey for very different reasons. Jason is starting to like, like Jenna, it seems. Mm. And, you, you know, you can tell he regards her as one of the pretty girls of the popular crowd, but she's anything but a dim-witted bimbo. If Jenna is not part of this, she and Jason are totally going to end up together. Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking, right? They keep following Troy till later that night. They hang back as Troy's car approaches a cemetery, and Jenna notes that this is the cemetery they buried Lacey in, or thought they did anyway. In the dark, they creep up behind Troy, who is standing at Lacey's grave and sobbing. <laughs> he keeps saying, I'm so sorry, Lacey. So sorry. Over and over. Jenna gasps. And Troy stops. Who's there? They stay quiet. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this like narration. <laughs> they stay quiet. And after a few moments of silence, he finally leaves and they can breathe again. They can't believe that they just saw a tough guy, Troy Palmer, crying. But was it because he was just sad or because he was responsible for her death? Hmm. Jenna says she has to leave now because she has curfew. I'm like, you just brought me out here and now you got to go. Like, what's that's weird. So on the way home, she reveals that she saw Troy bury something in, in like, something golden in next to the grave. Why the hell she didn't say something at the grave? I don't know why. Why was it she's so urgent to get out of there? I don't know. It could have taken like two minutes to find it. On the drive back, he looks at his Facebook again, again with the fucking Facebook, to see Lacey has sent him another cryptic message. Look deeper. And he's like, what? Huh? Is she watching him? Girl, just come out and say it already. Right. If you're watching, (laughs) just say hi. Come on out of the shadows. Exactly. Stop this jumping jack flash shit. Like (laughs) this whole recruitment type of thing. I hate it. Have you ever seen jumping jack flash? No. Is that required? (gasps) It's a Whoopi Goldberg classic. Okay. It's it's going. You need to see that movie. Watch list. Anyway, so he turns and goes back to the graveyard by himself like an idiot. I don't know why he does it just on his way back home. He's like, I'm going to turn back around, go to this graveyard. He digs up a small necklace and realizes that KC, the letters KC, is what he was saying on the phone, not Casey. So, like, oh, 
this is where my uh, my homosexual theory comes in um, because the initials on the necklace are LG and TP. And I was like, great. The TP is Troy. The LG isn't Lacey. It's Luke. And I was like, oh, Ooh. they're gay lovers. She found out. And then she had to be off. They had to kill her. They they couldn't let their gay love story be be out and about in the world. I would have appreciated that story. <laughs> I was like, oh, this this is such an interesting twist that we might be getting. We don't get it. And I'm very upset. But I, I was so ready for the LG to not be Lacey, but to be Luke. I know. They already mentioned there was a gay character in this universe so I was, at I some was point like, named Casey. Were we like dropping the hints that there might be somebody? That's that's very yeah, that's actually really good. Ruth, take notes for the next one. If you do it ever. <laughs> so yeah. So KC, not Casey. And this is when Rakesh calls Jason's phone, warning him not to take things from grave sites. It's very superstitious. <laughs> very super don't take it. Just plain respectful. Jason, you know, hears sounds and he's like, oh crap, I'm being watched. So he like he puts the necklace back, he buries it back in the grave, and he goes home. He just leaves. So Jason gets home and his mom is waiting for him, like, you know, waiting up like a good mom would. She's worried about him because he seems so stressed lately. He reassures her that he's fine, though he's not. Mom sees through that mess. Mom always does. Go, mom. She also reminds him that she and his stepdad are going out of town for the weekend. Great. Convenient. Great. Yeah. I feel like this is setting up for a typical teen thriller of the parents are away and the killer emerges. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. He writes out a long email to Lacey recapping everything that's happened. Again, fucking recaps. He asks her what she's not telling him. Like that's going to do any good. Then he lays back and feels happy. It's not like he's happy about the situation, but his life is finally exciting. Not the boring, same old, same old crap he's used to. You know, I get it. It's like feeling part of something. You know, you're kind of, even if it's not good, you're still doing something. You're like, oh my God, I actually, right. I mean, you know, joining a school club would have also given you the feeling you belong to something and something different to do with your day, but trying to solve a possible murder, another option. Hey, it's in a group. You're doing something. <laughs> the next day he picks Rakesh up and instead of going to school, his best friend insists that they go to the cemetery and get that necklace that Jason left. He says, you can't take things from a gravesite at midnight, but the daytime is totally fine. I'm like, <laughs> okay, because the spirits aren't watching that. Spirits aren't watching the daytime. They're only alive at night. They're only around at night and they're not alive ever. <laughs> so they get to the grave and they dig, but the necklace isn't there. <gasps> Jason is sure that someone had to have been following him last night. That's what he heard and picked it up. However, he and Rakesh are suddenly attacked by Luke Gray. <gasps> he kicks them both in the guts, just kicks their ass and punches them. And before grabbing Jason by the throat and yelling at him for digging up his sister's grave, he keeps shouting, who are you? Why are you digging up the past? Like a freaking crazy person. Till Rakesh manages to pull him off of Jason. So Luke runs off. This isn't over. <laughs> Crap. Like total drive by, like ran in, beat the shit out of both of them and then just ran away. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, 
Rakesh is all over this now. He's actually gotten hurt, it seems, you know. He wants to go back to Oakdale. They still skip school, though, and they go to the diner, talk. Finally, looking at his bruised face, Jason tries to dissuade Rakesh from wanting to throw a party <laughs> at Jason's parents. I mean, because the parents are out of town that weekend. I'm like, of course. You go right from a fight and say, hey, let's have a party tonight. Again, it mentions the mom is named Karen. But I'm going with Claudia. Her name's Claudia. You know, the original name. Because Karen just does not seem right in today's society. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I like her better as a Claudia. Exactly. Jason insists they figure out that Lacey stuff before they can start partying, which I'm all about too. Just get that shit out of the way. Right. That night, alone in the house, he wakes up at 3 a.m. and finds a new Facebook message from Lacey. This time, it's a picture of her wearing the necklace and smiling, and the message reads, Come find me. And Jason's getting pissed. Rightfully so. I mean, he liked Lacey's straightforward nature, but now she was sending him on these secret missions and giving him coded messages. And enough is enough. Maybe he should have just listened to Rakesh the whole time. You think? Maybe. He shows up at Jenna's place and tells her everything about what happened. But she just can't believe that Luke would be that psychotic for some reason. I don't know why. She just, she goes to get frozen peas for his bruised face. And he decides to log into Facebook on her computer just to, you know, see what, if he got a new message from Lacey, but he quickly sees that she's logged in already as Lacey. Enter surprise gasp here. <gasps> then he sees the notebook paper with his horrible song lyrics sitting on her desk. Another shocked gasp. Now he knows that she's been playing Lacey the whole time, manipulating him at every turn. She returns and he confronts her, but he won't let her explain when she says, you don't understand. He rushes out of the house and she trails him in the car, calling him his phone nonstop. And he finally loses her and silences his phone. I'm thinking, okay, it's too early for the big reveal. So maybe Jenna has a good reason for everything. Right. Still I, a little I, early. We're still, still not quite toward the end. Left. Um, I like that we got a, a high speed car chase thrown in there, like for funsies. Distraught teenagers are always fun. <laughs> so Jason drives home frantically. He's so distraught by this new information that he pulls over to vomit. He doesn't know who to trust or what to believe, which is understandable. When he gets home, he sees Troy parked outside his house. And Jason's like, oh shit, here we go. So he grabs a windshield ice scraper his only line of defense and approaches Troy who says, I'm not here to fight, dude. I'm like, I'm going to hit you with this plastic thing. <laughs> Troy explains that when Jason called the grays disguise, disguise himself as Keith McKellar guitar instructor to the stars, they saw his real name on caller ID. <laughs> Duh. It's 2013, not the eighties. Come on. Ugh, get I with just- it, kid. I love that the first time he tries to do something even remotely catfishy by pretending to be someone else, he like fails so miserably after someone so expertly catfished him for months on end. I know you would think be smart about it by now. Come on. (laughs) So stupid. Turns out it was also Troy and Luke at the bridge party that night following him and nearly hitting him with the Volkswagen. So he saw Luke's blonde hair in the Volkswagen. Troy seems really apologetic and just wants to know what Jason knows. All Troy wants to know is his connections to Lacey. 
So Jason explains the Facebook stuff and then asks Troy why he and Lacey were so secretive about their relationship. Troy explains that Luke is uber protective of Lacey, maybe just a little too much so. Lacey insisted they keep their romance a secret. He explains that KC stands for Kissing Club for their secret meeting place in an old clubhouse, which I'm like, okay, that's whatever. Troy thinks that Luke's overbearing nature caused Lacey to kill herself. So he thinks she jumped off the balcony at Roxy Choi's party. I'm like, he's a meathead, you know, but he's, he loved her and I feel bad for the guy. He just wants to know what happened to her. So Troy pulls himself together as he's kind of starting to divulge into little bits of crying. And he explains his side to the night at Roxy Choi's party. He says that Lacey was determined to finally tell Luke about their, her relationship with Troy. But Troy was trying to tell her that Luke was in another rage-filled mood and was not. this was not the time. He says Jenna saw their little spat, and then he makes a side comment that Jenna had a thing for him at one point. Which makes me think, did Lacey, did Jenna kill Lacey to get to Troy? Right, and he, hmm. he starts it with my favorite like way to start any statement is like, I don't want to sound conceited. All right, so the next thing coming is going to sound conceited. Here we go. I know, every time. Um, oh, you know what I also learned sometimes, though, like that works in reverse. So when somebody says honestly, that only means it means A, it's an opinion, and B, I might be trying to deceive you at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what honestly means. But yeah, totally. When you say, I'm not trying to be racist, but you're like, oh, here comes something racist. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone, but okay, here comes the offensive thing. Okay, here we go. Here it comes. All right. Well, I'm glad to know I'm, I need to brace myself for this. Thank you for letting me know that at least. <sighs> so Lacey took Jenna off to talk alone, maybe to, to, to tell her about Troy. Or kill her. And that was the last that Troy actually saw Lacey till her body was found on Monday. Like shit, she laid out there all weekend long. All weekend. Just in the sun. It, well, it was October, but still. It's kind of warm. It's a long know, time. Still. Jason finally speaks up. He tells Troy he doesn't think Lacey jumped from that balcony. He thinks she was pushed. Rakesh shows up and jumps Troy, thinking he's trying to attack Jason. You see that loyalty? You see that? That's a good friend. Even if he is a little bit misguided at this moment, this moment, he is totally, I don't know why I said poment. What the hell is poment? <laughs> so they settle down finally, and Jason catches everyone up to speed on everything in another fucking recap. Jason tries to bring up the messages from Lacey on his com- computer, but they're gone. <gasps> Not only that, her profile has been deleted. <gasps> Oh, yeah, and Rakesh just canceled a party he planned at Jason's <gasps> behind Jason's back. <laughs> he totally forgot to tell Jenna not to come. Oh, no, so Jenna's on her way. Yes. So she calls Rakesh, but Jason and Troy tell him to ignore it. Jason tells Troy that Luke has to be involved somehow, but because of, quote, bro code, Troy just can't believe that his friend could do anything like that. This is when Jason finally takes charge, tells him that even Troy knew to hide his relationship with Lacey from Luke because he was prone to raging out. Not to mention, look at Jason's face. <laughs> look at my face, man. Look at right. my like, face. He wouldn't beat somebody? Yeah. Look at his face. <laughs> See this face? No. Not, not dealing with this. 
Jason finally looks at his phone at the missed messages from Jenna, who urges him to listen to her voicemails and then call her back. But he's not sure if he should. Go ahead and listen to the voicemails. One of Jenna's texts mysteriously said, we needed your help. Huh? That makes them all question who Jenna is talking about as they drive to John Sullivan's house. John Sullivan, or Sully as he's nicknamed, turns out to be the guy who shot the video at the party last summer that Jason found on the flash drive. They get to Sully's place and confront him about the video. And actually, Troy confronts him angrily, asking about where the fucking full video is. And Sully has no idea because his phone was stolen back in September from his backpack in the locker room. Hmm. Who had access? Let's see. Jenna keeps calling Jason, but he keeps ignoring her calls while he listens to Sully. Sully says that Luke already know, knew about Lacey and Troy. He already knew. You know, Sully tried to cover for Troy because of Luke's temper. He alludes that Lacey was a slut, and that pissed Troy off. And then he says that Luke found out that for sure the one day about Roxy, you know, at Roxy Choi's party. Okay, so maybe Luke killed Lacey. This is all getting really confusing. After his phone disappeared, Sully got a new phone and started backing up all his files. He took three videos at Roxy Choi's party. They watched the first, and the typical party scene is set. You see Lacey and Troy go upstairs, and then you see Jenna confused as to why Lacey and Troy went upstairs. The second video was of Luke getting pissed off, you know, being a pissed off jerk because he's having trouble keeping his grades up, which could get him kicked off the team. Like, well, maybe partying with the boys isn't the way to go, Luke. Maybe you should be off studying. Stop being all pissed off. The man's not trying to bring you down. You're bringing yourself down. Okay. They get to the third video. It's basically like a found footage film. As Sully apparently lost his phone sometime in the night. It's obscured, but it's obviously an argument between Lacey and Max. Max is mad at Lacey because he, quote, thought she was different and not like the other popular kids. He's mad that he helped her cover her relationship with Troy and kept it from Jenna, too. Then there's like a struggle and a shriek. Obviously, it's when he threw her off the balcony. And that's the end of the video. I love that Sully talks about the fact that, like, the rest of the party was hazy, so, like, he was obviously drinking, and he has the one thing that police could have used months ago in, like, figuring out what happened to this poor girl, backed up on at the cloud somewhere, and because he the party was hazy, he never thought to, like, go back and look at it, and it's just been sitting there for months. And nobody remembers that he's the guy who always brings a camera around, or his phone, he always has his phone out and recording everything. I mean, uh, whatever. <laughs> Faulty, faulty police work. Very bad. For some reason, everyone turns to Jason for guidance. Like, he is the center of this thing right now. Because of him, all these people came together. He decides to call 911, but the operator threatens him with making a false report. So it turns out Max Anderson already set Jason up to make it look like he's been harassing him. Really nice guy, right? So what are they going to do? I don't know. Everyone but Sully jumps up to get into a car to rush over to Max's. They're like, all right, we're going to solve this shit now. I'm like, this is probably a trap, but whatever. Jason finally listens to the voicemails that Jenna left. She has no clue. 
Max convinced her that it was Troy that killed Lacey. Her last message that she left was she was going to go see Max. And the last thing she says is something's wrong with Max. I wonder what it is. Jason tries to call her back, but Max answers. He clearly knows that Jason knows and is now acting like a suave psycho saying that he's going to have to take care of Jenna before he hangs up abruptly. Jason's like, hit the gas because they got to go save Jenna. They get to Max's and see Jenna tied up in the garage through the window. Luke has had it and just goes charging in. But even the big brute can't overpower Max when he has a taser. (laughs) And a chainsaw. I know. Randomly, they see this chainsaw on the table and they're like, oh shit, what's he going to do with that? Luke goes down and Max binds him and duct tapes Jenna's mouth shut. He basically confirms the reason he's done all this is because he felt used by Lacey. He's an outcast in school and felt that Lacey was just being his friend to hide her relationship with Troy. Okay, but that's still not good enough reason to kill someone and become an unhinged villain. Right? (laughs) The gang outside charges in, throwing Max off as the many guys barging through the door. Jason goes for the chainsaw on the table, but Max still has his taser. As Jason fumbles with the chainsaw, Max gets closer. Jason looks over to Jenna, but she's gone. There's a sudden clang, and Jason realizes that Jenna broke free and hit Max over the head with one of his guitars. Good. I'm glad that the girl finally got to save the guy for once. She pulled herself out of that mess. Right. When A couple chapters ago, when we were like, oh, it's a single white female story. Jenna's the crazy one. I was like, oh, are we really going to make the one like redeeming female in the whole thing like the villain? And then it was like, no, she gets to save the day. Yay. So they get Sully to call the police. Apparently his dad is a big deal, so they actually listen to his request. Jenna apologizes and explains that Max convinced her to message Jason as Lacey. Max convinced her that Jason would be a perfect way to discover the truth about what happened. Jason goes to Max and asks why he, you know, he had him get involved. All Max could do was smile and tell him that he's a loser, just like Max. So it was really easy to manipulate him. That still doesn't make sense as to why he got him involved. (laughs) Other than that, he's just an asshole who likes to have control because you're a loser everywhere else in your life. You know, that's the only thing I can think of. Jason does what he'd want him, you know, anyone would want him to do and literally kicks Max while he's down. I'm like, oh, yeah, get him. The detective on the case can't believe the story he's hearing. He doesn't envy kids these days with their face space in the tube of views. Things are too complicated with that damn social media. You got that right, Officer O'Leary. <laughs> right. He's like, and here's the moral, friends. Like, I'm going to lay it out nice and easy for you. Here, The book is titled Defriended for a Reason. <laughs> so after Rakesh and his mom drop Jason off, he sees messages on Facebook from Jenna. But heeding Officer O'Leary's words, he decides he's done with the drama for now and just goes to bed. And we cut to an epilogue taking place six weeks later. Once the story got out, boring Jason suddenly became very popular at school, like a hero. He even stopped logging into Facebook and checking his emails all the time. That's growth and something I need to learn. (laughs) Right. Social media is not life, kids. Please remember that. He even got a long expl- explanatory letter from Jenna via snail mail. Like we he literally that. got postage. We love a pen pal. She, 
Exactly. Everybody needs to write more letters, and we need it now. We need more letters now. Save the post office. She apologized for her part in everything, like how she let Max manipulate her and how she actually really started to like like Jason. This surprisingly makes Jason happy, though it's no surprise considering how they flirted so early on in the book. He ends up asking her to the formal, much to Rakesh's pleasure. He needs, I mean, he needs his buddy there, you know? Uh-huh. They're going to go to a formal dance, so why is Jason wearing a tuxedo printed shirt instead? <laughs> I don't This would know. not have been allowed at my school. We would have been put, like, no, you can't come in here. You have to be in an actual tux, yep, not a same. t-shirt tux. Same. And that's the end of Defriended. What'd you think? What a wild ride. I just, you know, beginning to end, I was, I'm that person who no one likes to watch television shows with me because I sit there and like 15 minutes before the big twist, I'll go, here's what's going to happen, friends, and ruin it every time just by like sheer luck. Um, And so I love a good book where like the twists come and like I can't, it always keeps me one step out of sync. And I, and I have to say, like, I didn't think that it was going to just be Max all along. Like, I thought it was going to be Jenna for a long time. And I'm glad that she was innocent and they ended up together. I root for that young love. <laughs> Riding off in the sunset or the cyber sunset, I guess. Cyber sunset. <laughs> cyber sun, cyber sunset. I don't know. That sounds like actually, it sounds like an internet cafe drink. Ooh. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, now I kind of want there one. There you go. I don't know what's in it, but I I, know. I, I want a cyber sunset. I feel like it's going to be blue on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like the ocean, you have to have blue and you have to have like a sunset. Ooh, yeah. Oh, I'm into it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, Do you... Uh, what do you want to plug? Let's plug oh, something. Um, I would love to uh, plug... Uh, uh, Katrina loves Trent on Instagram. Um, it's a YA parody Instagram for anyone who loves comedy and YA books, which, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you must love both of those things. And, um, I also do a podcast about working in the service industry called no reservations. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at no res pod. Yeah. And where are you? Are you on most, uh, podcast platforms, I guess? We're or? on Apple podcasts, Spotify. Um, and then we use Buzzsprout. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, you guys want to listen to that. It just started that uh, podcast. So that's yeah. a, it should be a good show to listen to and uh, hear the real voices of what's going on, you know, behind the, the kitchen door <laughs> at your restaurants. So I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I want you to have, I want you to come back and we're going to at some point and maybe we'll, we'll read something a little different, but I yeah, think it'll this be fun. So much fun. I, this was such a blast and I, um, I'm like, I love to read. So it was nice to have like a little like book club moment. Exactly. That's what I want for this. So I'm glad you had it. Have any comments about Defriended or Ruth Barron or Point Horror or the show in general? Reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or on Instagram at both Dustin C. Holden and Dustin Can Read. Email me at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. And please be sure to subscribe to be alerted of new episodes, as well as rate and comment on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Dustin can read.